Welcome to the VO School podcast. Each episode is devoted to a different facet of the voiceover industry, building your knowledge towards a comprehensive understanding of the art, craft, and business of voiceover. We are joined by some of the industry's biggest and most successful players who share their journey and the secrets to their success. Oh my God, we're back. It's been a while. It's been a couple of months, but we're back and I've recorded a ton of episode interviews and we've got a few more to go as well. So uh, I'm very excited about that. They're excellent and I can't wait to show you them. Today, we're talking about video games. I know this is going to be a popular episode because this is a genre of voiceover that a lot of people are interested in and are intrigued by and want to get into. So uh, I'm joined by three fabulous people who are very successful in this genre. Amelia Tyler, Dave Fenoy and Jay Britton. So to find out more about our guests today, I would highly recommend you visiting their IMDb pages. I've included a short summary on the accompanying article for Backstage that you can read, but yeah, check out their IMDb pages. It's ludicrous, the amount of projects they've been involved in. Okay, so a little bit of housekeeping. Now, I'm going to be releasing these episodes every other week. I know you got used to them every week in the prior run, but uh, that's a little hard to maintain. (laughs) So it's going to be every other week. However, for Patreon members, I am planning to do a Zoom session in the off weeks. And we're going to be talking about the episode that was aired in the previous week. So, for example, this week we're talking about video games, so next week I'm planning on doing a Zoom session for the Patreon members where we talk about video games, and if you have any questions or follow-up that you would like to talk about from this episode, you can go there, and um, I'm hoping every now and again I'll be able to pull in at least one of the guests into that Zoom session as well. But uh, I will certainly be there, so uh, if you have any questions and would like to discuss the episode or you have some anecdotes or comments yourself you should partake in that now to join the patreon group you have to go to patreon.com slash school and for all of our social media and all the other links including patreon just go to voschoolpodcast.com if you're driving right now and can't take notes just remember that voschoolpodcast.com for all the links okay that's enough of my waffling Let's have a couple of quick ads and then straight into the interview with Amelia, Dave and Jay. The National Zoo. (laughs) Because sometimes you just need to stroke a llama. Instagram. Download it and start embarrassing your teenagers today. Resolve spot and stain. Because the dog's gonna drag his butt on the carpet. He just is. Engage the droid army with this Lego Star Wars Republic fighter tank. Hi, it's J. Michael Collins. And these are just a few examples of the first-class demos my team and I are producing. If you'd like to have something similar, visit jmcvoiceover.com and click on the Demo Production tab to find out more. Connect your studio to the world with IPDTL. IPDTL is a cost-effective alternative to ISDN without the need for hardware or line rental. Connect, mix, and record up to four locations at the same time, including phone patch, right from your computer. You don't need additional software as IPDTL runs in your browser, and you can even get your own ISDN number. Try a day pass for just $15, or subscribe monthly or yearly. 
So for directed sessions, interviews, and of course, podcasts, choose IPDTL. Okay, so today I am joined by three wonderful people, Amelia Tyler, Dave Fenoy, and Jay Britton, and we are talking about video games, which is going to be a popular episode, I know. So welcome to all three of you. Thank you. Hello. Hi. So we're going to start by talking about uh, your journeys into the industry and where you are right now. And then later on, we're going to actually get into talking about the work and how we do this job and things like that. So starting off, um, Amelia, how did you start and how did you get into this genre of the industry? <laughs> uh, well, it's it's a very long story, but I, I've been voicing since I was five years old. Wow. So... Yeah, 30, 30 years I got into it because my mum was a voiceover and an actor um, and she couldn't get a babysitter one day and took me along to a session and and the rest is history. Uh, but video games, I wanted to get into. I'd been a gamer since I was a kid and really wanted to get into for a long, long time cool. uh, and then broke into it. I think it was three and a half, four years ago and in that time... I have recorded, I think it's 50 now, 50 titles, Ooh. something along those lines, which for, for England is pretty respectable. Yeah. I mean, for any anywhere, that's pretty respectable. <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah, it's not too bad. It's a great industry to break into, though. It's very different from the other, the other sides of performance. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to get to those differences shortly. So, uh, Dave, what about you? How did you get into voiceovers in video games? Well, I got into voiceover after being a disc jockey for, um, you know, a decade or so. Uh, but as a child and a teenager and my first foyer into college, um, I was a theater major and mm. studied theater. And when I decided to do voiceover work and moved to Los Angeles, one of the things that popped up on the radar uh, in, in terms of auditions were video games. Uh, now, this is in the uh, late 90s um, yep. and uh, early 2000s, and it was just, we were just getting into video games that uh, were telling story and featured a lot of voices. Uh, and I kind of thought of it as uh, just another form of animation, not being the gamer right and uh but i just started uh working and booking and working and booking auditioning and booking and uh, after a while kind of built up a, a pretty good resume and over the years got better at it better known with it and now i have a about uh somewhere between 320 and 400 games <laughs> that i'm on nice. wow that's pretty good that's fascinating. All right, and Jay. So this is, uh, I reveal myself to be the ringer of the group. Um, <laughs> I came into voiceover in a very roundabout way. Um, I've always been a performer through, you know, uh, school and college and and after after college doing musical theatre and, and theatre and choirs and very bad rock bands um, that we all have to go through a rite of passage and be in. Um, and then I went and had a 12 or 13 year career in IT, um, as a network technical design architect, which you're correct, it is exactly as interesting as it sounds. Um, and then in a London basement one day, I realized that my soul had slowly decayed and turned into a black husk of a thing and thought I should probably go and pursue um, what I should be doing with my life, which is voice acting. I was, I was the kid who, you know, Britain, stop doing voices and get on with your work <laughs> in school. That was me. 
Right. Um, so I I went and did some training and I got demo reels done and then I basically pounded the pavements, both virtual and real, um, until I could uh, leave my job and, and turn it into a full-time career. And for me, video games was, you know, I've been a gamer since a kid, so video games was always on my radar as that's that's what I want to work in, video games and, and animation. Yeah. And I just kind of got that first game um, under my belt and just kept pushing and pushing and pushing and now um sort of moving through the tiers of video games um and i think you know similar to amelia now i think i'm on about 52 titles and approaching 300 roles across those titles so it's it's been a good few years <laughs> well wow, that's that's great that's that's fantastic and i was struck by the difference between you and amelia's history and and you yours dave that you weren't really a gamer were you dave this was no, something that no. you came into so does it have to be a prerequisite that you are a gamer to get into this world clearly not uh clearly not and uh when i'm teaching that's one of the things i try to impress upon uh students that you know, if you are a gamer, uh, it's going to give you some insights you might not have mm. uh, uh, for somebody that is a gamer, but it's not necessary. What what really is necessary is uh, good acting. Right. Mm. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, being a gamer, I think it helps with the terminology and knowing the place of things, because I, I think especially coming from a theater background or a screen background, you're used to being given time for certain things, and especially when you're doing death shouts or um, things things that are a little less emotionally complex, shall yeah. we say. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's easy to get carried away f- with that and not see it in context of what it needs to be used for. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it helps with context. Um, but that's where things like, I think Twitch is really, really useful. YouTube videos are really useful. Mm. Because you can sit there and do your accounts or do your housework and listen to somebody, watch somebody else playing a game and just kind of get an idea of the styles that are going on there. Not that I do it all the time, but that's uh, more how I learn about uh, what's really going on in the games is watching uh, the YouTube play from yeah. uh, gamers. And that, that's very instructive. Yeah, so I mean, we don't have time apart from anything else. If we, if you're working consistently, you don't really have time to play all these games, and especially the, the really narrative heavy ones. That's going to be a an investment of time. So I tend to pick my titles wisely, which yeah. ones I want to actually spend my life in, because right. I will. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Jay, do you think um, your background knowledge has helped you, given you an advantage in certain situations, maybe when you go to book a job, knowing a bit about the backstory or the, the history of the game? Do you think that's helped? I, I think it, it, it comes through, I think, in ways that you don't expect. Mm. Um, I think where, not necessarily just being a gamer, but being aware of, of games culture um, yeah. and and game development and what goes into that and kind of just what the industry is like as a whole, it does mean that even if you're not talking about from a booking perspective in terms of auditions, but it means when you're talking to developers, they they tend to A, pick up on the fact that, oh, you actually have, you know, a bit of knowledge about what we go through on the development side, and then B, they, they pick up on that genuine passion that you have um, for the work that gets produced. Yeah. Um, and I think that feeds into just getting you know, good working relationships with people, which eventually does pay off in the booth as well, I think. Right. Okay, so for people who are listening who are thinking about becoming a video game voice artist particularly, 
what skills do they need to have or do they need to require to really do this job the best? Dave, you said, of course, acting ability. Are there any other uh, skills that they need to have and maybe drill down a little bit about specifically what kind of acting it is that they need to sort of work on? Well, well, you know, um, when I say acting ability, I think that's a given. Yeah. But mm. whatever type of acting you're doing, whether you're on camera, then you have to memorize lines, hit your blocking, and so forth and so on, uh, listen, react to other actors. Uh, it's just the opposite uh, with voice acting for video games, unless you're doing mocap, uh, right. in which case, you know, I mean, you're you're moving, there's other actors, you memorize the script, but uh, you're in that funny suit with a camera yeah. and <laughs> microphone looking at you. Um we have some specific challenges uh, as actors in uh, video games, and that is there are words on a page. Uh, there may or may not be uh, dialogue from the other actors we're talking to. Mm. Um, there may or may not be indications of where you are in relationship to those actors, what action is going on. It's just words on a page. So you have the, the uh, chore of reading the words and then translating those into what this character is thinking. And I think all too often people get too caught in the words and aren't spending enough time uh, doing the things that an actor on stage would do, which would be uh, making the movements as they've been blocked, uh, honestly reacting to the actors they're with, because there aren't any actors there. <laughs> uh, so you have to invent all of that in your head. Yeah. And I think that is the uh, toughest part that people go through mm. is uh, how do I create this full scene that you can see and feel mm. um, in my head? So when the words come out of my mouth, they sound like a real character uh, saying things that this character would say. And are you ever fed lines through your through the talkback that you can react to? Are you reading the other lines and just occasionally before, you yeah. are? Occasionally you are. Mm. Yeah, I usually request it. Yeah, and this is we're talking about when you're. We're not talking about mocap here. We're just talking about when you're in a booth. I'd just like to sort of paint the picture a little bit for the listeners to what it actually is. You're standing in a booth in London, LA, wherever it is, and you've got a director the other side of the glass, and you've just got a big thick chunk of pages that you're working through. That's pretty mm -hmm. much how it runs, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so um, specifically to do with mocap then, that's a whole other part of the industry. You touched on it there, Dave. Um, I know, Jay, you've done a fair amount of this too. So why don't you talk us through a little bit what mocap or facial capture is? Uh, so there's there's generally sort of two um, disciplines, as it would be, within sort of motion capture is, is often used as an umbrella, but within that you've got what you would call motion capture and then full performance capture. Right. Um, so there are a great number of very, very talented artists who, let's say, would lean towards motion capture. So they're, they're perhaps combat specialists or dancers or skills in gymnastics, and they focus purely on capturing motion mm. um, that might be fed into games for stock animations um, to be used for characters or specific fight scenes, or they'll get pulled in to do fight choreography for a cinematic in a certain game. Mm. Um, the sort of other side of that, as it were, is the full performance capture, which is more where somebody like me would be pulled in, where it's, I don't want to use the term pure acting, but it's, I'm not there based on my physical skill because I have very little physical skill. Um, <laughs> they do stuff I'm down there. there. 
Oh no, okay, I can do I can Beat Saber this. in virtual reality. It's fine. <laughs> um, so that's more where it's it's a bit more like theatre. You you're wearing the full suit to capture your motion. You've got the camera head camera on to capture your facial animations, uh, and then obviously microphone to pick up voice, which you may or they may not then end up re-recording outside, depending on how it comes through. Mm. Um, so the full performance stuff is much more that character-driven. Um, it, it is like theatre, but similar to what Dave is saying about when you're in the booth, when you're on a, a motion capture set, if you're doing full performance capture, um, I mean, Amelia and I did one recently, there is, <clears throat> there is sometimes there'll be props, but very often there won't be any scenery, there may not be any props. Um, you may be playing multiple people talking to yourselves if you're, say, doing generic soldiers. Um, as I know a colleague of mine had to play himself five times stood next to each other <laughs> sort of looking and talking back to the person he's just played five minutes ago um but it's very much again a lot of the skills from the booth in terms of creating um that world um come through into into full performance capture well it's interesting that you refer to it as theater because i've done a f- some now i can't say a huge amount of what uh, but there are projects in the works and the people that I've talked to about it and certainly during my training and Jay and I trained with some of the same people as well um, they referred to the different skill sets within acting that you need to pull in into the same place simultaneously in order to do full performance capture especially with some of the new technology that's coming in like VR where that completely changes where the viewer could be at any point. You have to change your performance to be accessible to that. But generally speaking, for full performance capture, you're looking at theatre body, screen acting face, and booth voice. And that's a very specific (laughs) set of skills. You know, I like the way you put that. That is perfectly (laughs) put. Yeah. Why, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) But it's great fun, and certainly... I. I think people have the same or a similar problem when they're directing actors for full performance capture as they do in the booth, which is if you get somebody who's just got a screen acting background, they're used to having other actors and props and sets and costumes to get them into the character. And you put them in a booth and a lot of them stiffen up because you've taken all their toys away and they're having to rely on pure imagination. Whereas if you take a voice actor out of the voice booth and put them in a full performance capture volume, suddenly you're like, oh, you've given me my body back. This is amazing. <laughs> and and they're very free. Um, so it's interesting to see which people transition the different skills. It helps if you've, uh, you know, if you've not just been a voice actor, yeah. if you've yeah. also done some stage and some on-camera work, um, I did a lot of stage in my uh, youth and uh, as a young adult. Uh, and for a while, when I came to L.A. in 1990, I, I would do a play every year for about the first 10 years. And I think that helps. And it it gives you that theater, drama, performance perspective that you have to bring uh, no matter what, whether, you know, you're it's performance capture or whether you're just you and the microphone in a booth. So what if you're a voiceover actor who wants to get into the video games, but this idea of performance capture or facial capture scares the hell out of you? Is this something you're just going to have to get over? Is this industry shifting more in that direction, would you say, Dave? You know, um, the industry is creating more and more games of uh, all types. Mm. 
so uh, I am still doing uh, many more games where I'm just in the booth and recording uh, than than mocap. That's mm. not to say there isn't a lot of mocap going on. I have yet to look at a, 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 a statistic that says, well, we've got X number of games or X percentage of games are mocap compared to games that are just voiced. Mm. Uh, but there's plenty of mocap, and yeah. there's still plenty of games that are just being voiced. And the numbers, as I said before, are increasing in both. Right. So I suppose that leads me on to uh, asking how how things have changed since the late 90s when you first came in, Dave. Um, <laughs> hugely, I presume. <laughs> yeah, everything has changed. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and in every aspect of video games back then, uh, they were just really getting started. Yeah. Uh, we had just gotten past Pong and uh, Space Invaders. <laughs> And uh, the the first companies that were producing games that had voices, they weren't hiring actors. They were hiring whoever was available. I'm not even sure sometimes they were hiring. Sometimes it was uh, the game developers. And, oh, we need a gal in this thing. Uh, what's the secretary <laughs> doing? Uh, have her come in here for lunch. Hey, did your dad retire? We need an old guy, you know. Um, so you had a, you had some – you can go back and, and uh, you can Google – bad voice acting in video games. <laughs> oh, I know what I'm, I'm doing tonight. Right. Those videos and are great. You will hear some of the worst acting the world has ever known. You will hear the kinds of mistakes <laughs> where um, they didn't know how to edit well, so the, 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 the voice actor will say his line. Uh, you'll hear the direction. Of, yeah, I'll do it one more time, but this time louder. <laughs> And you, you you would hear that kind of thing. Right. Well, as time has gone on, uh, the graphics have gotten better. The storytelling has gotten better. The sound design has gotten better. And the acting has gotten better. Yeah. Uh, and to me, that's, that's the biggest change. Nowadays, uh, video games are like 70-hour movies that mm. uh, you get to have a, a hand in the storytelling. Uh, yeah. By either choosing, you know, what character you're playing as, or deciding on the the what your character is going to say or do, uh, you may not be able to change the final outcome of the game, but you can uh, change the trajectory of the story uh, throughout it, and that uh, is something we haven't had in the history of human beings until video games. Yeah, it's kind of like um, a visual choose-your-own-adventure book, if you remember oh, those yeah. from the yeah. 80s and choose 90s. Choose your adventure. Oh, I love those. <laughs> I love those so much. But I find it really interesting that it's evolved when it did and that I broke into the industry personally when I did because I'd wanted to for a long time. Mm. But I come from a, a stage and screen and voice background, and I have a psychology degree because my actress mother went, don't you dare be an actor, don't you dare. <laughs> go to university, get anology. So I did that and then did what I wanted. Um, but it feels like the moment that the industry, um, like when The Last of Us came out and the yeah. the feel of what people saw as a potential success in games, having narrative-heavy, really cinematic realism in games became something that was seen as marketable rather than this crazy pipe dream. That was roughly the time that I started making headway in the industry because, this, weirdly, the psychology degree has come in really useful. Yeah, I never I thought it. I'd use that. 
Um, yeah, when you, you know, excuse me for jumping in. Uh, nah, okay, I, right. When you, you you bring up uh, The Last of Us, I I got a <laughs> a pull in The Walking Dead game. Um, this was kind of a shift with the narrative games that you didn't have to be uh, a, a, a thumb athlete uh, with the, <laughs> the, the with the fastest reflexes in the world because the challenge wasn't uh, to you know kill this, kill that, kill that, mm-hmm. but it was drive the story in a particular way. And uh, skill was not required. Uh, you were having an emotional uh, journey through this this entertainment. I remember and still get uh, from fans when I meet them, uh, You know, they'll say to me two things. One, I've never been emotionally involved with the characters in a game before. Mm. And two... You and Clem made me cry. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, though. So uh, the narrative games have brought a whole other experience uh, to video games uh, than than what they than the track they had been on. It's it's only something we're going to see that's going to increase and go further and further. I think it's it's quite easy to forget just how young video games are as a as a medium mm. um, comparative to to film and TV and theater especially um and yet it's evolving at a much faster rate than any of those mediums did um and even back i mean when did i do my first game uh maybe five years or so ago even in that short little sprint to what's what the sort of stuff i'm seeing now that might not even be out for another year or so um that focus on narrative and and just what we can do and the stories we can tell um is only evolving faster and faster and faster so it's it's only going to get better especially yeah. and selfishly from an actor's point of view um the sort of roles um that i see coming up now i mean we could go off on a big tangent here but um from you know obviously i, I get employed to play male roles mm. um and i've seen an evolution and it's it's only just now really starting to happen but an evolution in, in what we're doing with male roles in particular, moving away from the, you know, the gruff white male soldier type um, that we had at the beginning, mm. I'm now starting to see much more interesting and fleshed out um, kind of portrayals of men. And, you know, thank God we're seeing the same with, with female roles as well starting to happen. But that that idea of, well, we can be a bit more clever with these characters we bring in now. We And by evolving the narrative, it gives us license to evolve mm. The character types that we bring into these narratives as well which is that's what's really interesting uh for me as an actor is to start when the story gets better the characters get better and more interesting and that means i get to play and they get braver and more responsible with the casting i think authenticity has become a real thing recently and whereas particularly in london if somebody asks for an actor who is not white and middle class it's really tricky to find people. They're out there, but they casted. Uh, casted. Oh God, I need some sleep. Uh, the the casting used to be very lazy, yeah. um, and I think social issues, for example, representation of women, represent pe- representation of people of different colours and places of origin and sexuality, has become uh, much more of a a hot hot topic. Makes it sound throwaway. I think games are investigating those subjects and exploring them with a lot more respect and genuine curiosity than a lot of other mediums are doing. The popularity of video games is uh, only growing. 
Uh, you're already talking about an industry that dwarfs music and movies combined in terms of how much money comes in. It's yeah. a worldwide uh, industry. And uh, I think now that video games are branching out in terms of genres, so whatever kind of genre you have as a movie, you're going to find uh, something analogous in, in video games. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we've had some, uh, you know, they're trying to, you know, sell the games much like they sell the movies. So you're hearing movie trailer type announces of video games and you have some developers that think wow well this is kind of like a movie let me get some well-known movie actors uh mm-hmm. in these video games and they have had mixed uh mm-hmm. success mixed yeah. results there mm-hmm. are some some uh actors that uh come in and you know give themselves to the project and do the job well but there's a lot of celebrities who it's the difference between being on camera and having another actor to talk to and memorizing your lines uh, is is a hill too high for them. Yeah, so they underestimate the process, do you think? They underestimate the process mm. or they are uninterested in the right. process. I've okay. heard a lot of that from directors. Um, and because typically video games are not going to pay them what they've been making on camera... Uh, sometimes their interest uh, is less. And I have heard horror stories, certainly not all celebrities who do this, but I've heard horror stories of people not showing up, not calling, or showing up for a four-hour session after an hour going, eh, I'm done, bye. Uh, <laughs> or showing up, staying for the four hours, but just kind of dialing it in. Yeah. Uh, whereas uh, these we journeymen uh, voice <laughs> actors who have begun to specialize in this. I mean, I, I do everything else too, but mm. um, I definitely pay strict attention to my voice acting for video games. Um, we love this. We love doing this. Yeah. We want to we be a part of successful games. We want to be uh, a great, big, beautiful cog in this huge story engine uh, that's that's moving forward. Uh, n- not everybody feels that way. Mm-hmm. I, I I know uh, Jay does, and Amelia. I'm assuming you do too. <laughs> you are very right. <laughs> I think um, just on that point, there's something really interesting in there that I really hope the game industry maintains, which is to reference well i'll reference one game because it, it's personal to me because i grew up with it but the metal the metal gear solid series of games um where they replaced david hater um for the most recent recent iteration with Kiefer sutherland mm. there was there were, there's one major thing about that that really bugs me and but it also speaks to what i love about the industry is that i as a gamer didn't care it was Kiefer sutherland like that's not gonna make me go and buy a game in right. the same way that you know, putting, uh, who do I like? Keanu Reeves, put him in a movie, and that might make me more likely to go and see it. Mm. But I think there's a thing there about the gamers don't really care who it is. And, I, you know, I say I'm, I'm one of the actors, but I like that they don't care who I am because mm. it means they're invested completely in the story that's being told. They're not swayed by, oh, this celebrity's voicing it or this celebrity's voicing it. And on the back end of that, I think it's great that game studios don't get into the habit of 
the same way the movies can go of, well, let's cast this person because that'll bring, you know, X number of audience uh, to our film and just keep it in that pure form that it has of casting of, well, who's best for the role and what's going to work? And I think the fact that we're not visible gives license for that kind of thing to happen. And I really like that. And I hope it carries on because as a gamer, I, I won't buy a game because it has a celebrity in it. That's never that's never a draw for me. Yeah. I don't think it is for a lot of gamers. Can, can I jump in? And, and, and I agree with you, Jay. And by the same token, the voices on video games uh, that have been on video games for some time now and on favorite games are beginning to develop a celebrity status themselves. I'm going to Comic-Con uh, on a Wednesday night uh, to meet and greet fans on Thursday and sit on panels and talk about the Walking Dead game. Mm. Uh, I go to a number of conventions where people who are video game players want to meet me and take pictures and treat me like a celebrity because this is their entertainment and um, some part I have played has touched their life in some way. Mm. So uh, now I also think the video game developers never intended for that to happen. No. <laughs> uh, what they were looking for, hey, we were developing these games and we're the stars because we've developed them. But as soon as you start telling stories and having actors uh, touch people's heads and hearts with their performances, you're going to have people that uh, are going to want to connect to the the voices, the people behind those voices. Yeah, um, I think that's uh, you know I, I don't know how you were handling it uh, in England, in Great Britain, but you know here we had a, a long strike mm. uh, to get pay up, to mm. uh, get residuals, uh, to uh, get safety in in terms of our voices not having sessions that uh, had. A difficult, loud, uh, possibly uh, voice-destroying sessions go on and on and on and on. I know years ago I lost my voice for about a week mm -hmm. on a five-hour session of shouting. So on one hand, um, yeah, the fans uh, don't care about celebrity, what celebrities in it, but they're turning voice actors uh, into celebrities, and I'm not sure that the industry, the people who are making the games and have to pay our salaries like that because it puts us in a position to demand more money. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, absolutely. Um, so that position that you're talking about there is something that a lot of people who are listening to this can only dream of right now. So I want to bring it back a little bit and talk about how you get to that point, how you get to the point where you're booking regularly, whether they be indies or AAA games. Ah, so you mean get good. Get good, yeah. yeah um, That's a simple answer. It's easy, just what's the answer? <laughs> but if someone was to start today in 2018, obviously, mm. um, Dave, you started 20 or so years ago. Jay and Amelia, you started 10 or so years ago. But if someone was starting in 2018, what's their first port of call um, to get going or develop the skills? What would you say there, Amelia? I would say, first off, if somebody has said you've got a nice voice, whether it's your mum or your dad or your crazy <laughs> auntie or some dude down the pub, ignore that person because that's yeah. not what it's about. I always liken uh, being a voice actor to having a violin. You could have the most beautiful, expensive, gorgeous violin in the whole world. Can you play it? 
Mm. You need to learn how to play if you want to play in an orchestra. I'm going to steal that from you, Amelia. <laughs> I may turn it into saxophone, but I'm stealing it. <laughs> yeah. So where do you go to learn those skills then? Uh, there are lots of different coaches, and I think there are things you can do in between formal voice coaching that will put you in a much better position. I would say take acting classes, take improv classes for mm. sure. Improv helps hugely. Yeah. Um, anything that gets you used to working with people... But the kind of more community theatre kind of things that you can do in your local area will only get you up to a certain standard. And beyond that, you you learn your standards from the people you work with. Yeah. And I think beyond that, you need somebody with a professional ear to hear what it is about you that is unique because it's an oversaturated marketplace and you have to be unique to compete with the big dogs. Right. You know, um, that's one of the things I try to impress on students all the time is that the magical element is you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 that thing that your life, your experiences, uh, your particular way of saying things, uh, that's what people will relate to. Mm. And uh, I'm co-signing also on the acting classes. Mm. You really need to be a good actor. And I, I recognize that there are people who have never had an acting class. And I'll, I'll throw out Jennifer Lawrence, never had an acting class. Mm. She's brilliant. Uh, she has a particular empathy uh, for people and things uh, and life. Mm. Um, so she didn't need it. Uh, and you're going to run into people with more or less of that. Um, but most of us need some training of some kind. Uh, most people are going to need to uh, be able to look at, well, here are the issues you're facing uh, as a voice actor in a video game, and these are the ways to overcome that once you have um, a solid set of, of acting skills how do I translate those acting skills into this particular acting medium? Right. And it's uh, advice as much as anything else. Somebody who can stop you making the stupid mistakes before you mess up your career chance of a lifetime by making right. it. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm going to be the, the awkward one now who, <laughs> who offers do. a completely different insight because I'm weird. Um, <laughs> so I, I am, annoyingly, what Dave says. You know, I have never had an acting class. I've, I've done, you know, some voice coaching as it were, but I've never had an acting class. I've never been to an accent coach. I learn all my voices from Saturday morning cartoons and American accents <laughs> and German, French, everything I do um, has all been sort of just me assuming, subsuming media content. So when I approach video games, I kind of, not that I didn't have that to think about because there is absolutely a specific set of logistical skills, if nothing else, for video game work. But the other half of the puzzle is approaching it professionally as a business right. um, it's no different to anybody that goes hey i've i've made these new baked beans they're, they're the best baked beans you'll ever have that's great you could yeah perfect you can have the best baked bean that's ever been made but you've still got to get it on the shelves in tesco and walmart and asda yeah. and waitrose it's no good if you can if you if you don't have the skills to get to your product where it needs to go so that is the other half of the coin that I would say people need to consider is approach it all professionally and with a business mindset and have some kind of plan about how you're going to get there. I I was approached this week by by a young actor who, who wanted to get into video games and he'd been working in VO for a while and he said, you know, I'd love for you to look at my stuff. And I went to his site and I was like, 
well, there's no gaming reel here. It's like, oh, I haven't, I haven't got one. It's like, well, you're kind of going to need that to, to kind of get into video games. But it's just that kind of thought process of if you want to go to video games, have that as a target. Mm. And literally, I sat down and I set out what steps do I need to do? What do I need to have in place? Okay, mm. I need to get this training, have this demo, meet these people, go to these events, build these relationships. It's literally not a case of going, oh, here's a reel with some great talent on it. I wish I, I wish I could say that that would be enough. Mm. But there is this massive chunk of, of the work that you need to do that I think people forget about and focus on the voice. So speaking to that point that you just made there, Jay, when someone's built their skills to the point at which they're ready, or they're at least at a good point to launch into this, and maybe they've worked with someone to get a demo ready, where do they go to knock on the door of the industry? What is the first can, step that they should take? Before you answer that, can I just pick you up on something you just said, which is amazing? You've worked with somebody and then cut a demo. Right. Yeah. The yes. Right not, not, the, not the not the yeah. reverse. Yeah. <laughs> because I think Jay's supermarket metaphor can extend further back. A lot of what people do is like, oh, I I want to do voice acting, so I'm going to cut a demo and send it out, and then I'll I'll get some training if I don't make it, mm. or I'll, <laughs> I might pick up some training. You're essentially advertising your baked beans and going, these are the best baked beans in the world. But it's just a drawing of some beans you did (laughs) that you've never actually made. And people are having to trust that these beans are not only great, but that they exist. Or worse, that they hire, they they buy the beans and the beans taste terrible. Yeah. Yeah. The picture looked great. But yeah. in reality, that's that's like a carefully doctored photo shoot and somebody's cut a demo together that sounds amazing that that person has no way of backing up in the booth. And that could potentially stick in their mind. You know, they, they could remember that those beans were horrendous and won't ever work, eat them again. <laughs> and they will tell other people about those beans. Let me give you an example of somebody. Uh, I don't know this person's name. This is a story that was told to me uh, by a client that I was working with. Yeah. And uh, she told me they had hired this guy. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's it's not just one company that's putting together a game. Uh, it might be uh, the game developer, and then they hire somebody else to uh, not necessarily uh, choose the voices, but direct the voices. Mm-hmm. And that was this case. And the company heard this guy. He had a wonderful voice. They liked it. He had probably Frankenstein together uh, an audition that made it seem like he had uh, acting chops. They got him in the booth. He was undirectable. He was not a good actor. Um, it They had had in mind him playing this major role, plus auxiliary roles as well. Well, mm. throw the auxiliary roles out because it was taking them so long on every take. Uh, and now this is a guy who's probably, well, that company certainly isn't going to hire him again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And people know one another. Mm-hmm. And when stories come up and, uh, you know, fortunately they didn't tell me his name. I don't want to know. <laughs> but <laughs> wasn't Jay, was it? Oh. Yeah. This this is this is awkward. <laughs> I said somebody with a great voice. Oh, okay. Oh, ow, my heart. My heart. Like some cream for that burn, Mister Burton. I, 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 I love you like a younger brother that stole my stuff. <laughs> but, That's our exact relationship. Well, how can you help it? You know, you, 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 and you always hurt the one you love. Uh, but I I feel bad for this guy. Yeah. Uh, because he doesn't know what he's not doing. I'm sure mm. in that session they were p- kind to him. They didn't tell him you suck. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, they kept smiling and and kept trying to give him uh, every chance. Probably gave him line reads. Uh, the game's probably going to come out with him on it. Um, they they did the best they could. Uh, people may even like it, like his performance, not knowing. But he's he's not going to get hired again. Yeah. Mm. Now he's got a reputation that yeah. that says yeah. not ready. Mm-hmm. And reputations really do spread in this. All the devs oh, yes. know each other. So important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not only your reputation for how good an actor you are and how fast you can work and th- bring that special you to the thing, but, you know, don't be the prima donna. Show up mm-hmm. on time. Be kind and friendly to everybody you don't know. That, that you know, uh, little person up there that's 22 and doesn't seem to be doing much, mm-hmm. you don't know where that person's going to end up. Yeah. Give everybody... Respect, just just like you want respect. The people on the other side of the glass are there to make you sound good. Yes. And if you've ever had to edit your own audio when you're having, you know, a bit of a I'm not feeling quite so well day and your mouth's a bit clicky like mine is today, (laughs) you will have an inherent respect for the people who have to do that for a living. And if they choose not to do it, you're going to sound not so great. These people, we're all working together and... I think the temptation is from both sides to see it as an us and them situation, like with this these weird fish at the aquarium that they just kind of have to prod until we do what they want and we see them as <laughs> strange people from another planet who we have to translate, what do you want? Yeah. Technical person who thinks in numbers, what do you want? So don't jump in too early is a, is a very important thing to take away from yeah, this. Yeah, for sure. Know what you're selling. Yeah. And be honest about that, because it might not be what you want to sell. You might desperately want to be a video game actor or a TV commercial voice. Oh, look at the money in that. You might not be right for that. And and the fact that you want it so much might be blinding you to the thing that you're amazing at. And that's where a really good coach comes in. Yeah. I think as well, just to bring it back to the, um, the specifics of the demo, um, one thing, if I'm ever coaching a new voice about demos, the, one of the first rules I always say is, don't put anything on your demo that you cannot replicate with the snap of a finger. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because we're talking about video games, I, I just want to make that point because it's so important because video games have no time. Yeah. Mm. Um, one of the reasons um, I, I think, you know, if I work it out, I average about five or six roles per game. So there is an expectation when a director pulls me in the booth, and it's happened before, you know, crap, we've got, we've got an hour left of studio time, we've got ten characters, we'll get Jay in because Jay can rattle that off. Mm. If I then turn up the first time they asked me to do that and went, well, there's 15 voices on your real Jay. Where are all these accents and things <laughs> that, that, you, that, you, that you said you could do? And I go, oh, well, it takes me half an hour to go and find that voice and find that accent and call up my granddad in Scotland and get the right <laughs> intonation. You know, you'll never work again. So it has to be something you can replicate and instantly. And the thing is, as well, I get a lot of his, and this is a real pet peeve of mine, is here's my character voice demo. Blah. No. No, what genre is it? Is it? And even within video games, I could probably knock together three different demos for yeah. three different types of, of video game genre. And it's when you get video game demos that you, the second you press play, you're like, "Well, this is. I'm not listening to a video game. I'm watching a cartoon." Right. Um, or when it starts with screamy, shouty soldier number forty-two. Yeah. Immediately, you don't is that know you? what you're or, selling. Or to. an accent that they don't do well, and oh. there's a bunch of them throughout the the demo. And by the time you get to the end, you actually don't know what this person sounds like. Right. Yeah. yeah. I I would rather hear one accent through a whole demo, but lots of different emotions and situations and like complex mental stuff going on. 
Yeah. Rather than a billion crap accents. And, and stamina is important as well, right? You have to be able to maintain these characters for a long period of time. It might be a four-hour oh, session. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's an important part. Yeah, don't put a, a voice on your demo you can't maintain uh, for a four-hour session. Yeah. Yeah. I prefer not to think them as voices or accents, actually. For for each thing that I audition for and record, that's a person. Yeah. And yeah. to me, when I come to do another job and they're like, well, it needs to be from roughly this part of the world, I will take that person and mix it with another person and some new ideas and tweak it and give it a name. Because if you give it a name, it's real and yeah. it's easier to stay in it. When I, um, I, I was giving a, a talk at a voiceover event and about video games and... I remember everyone on the run-up to the event, I saw all these posts on Facebook um, about, you know, my God, Jay, you're so amazing. Can't wait to hear you talk. I lie, I lie. Um, was it your mum again? Yeah. It was again, yeah. <laughs> but underneath all those wonderful compliments about me was this idea of, and it kept coming up, these people There better saying, be a point to this, to... Jay. There is, honestly. <laughs> it's just, I'm just grandstanding. Um, this this notion kept coming up the exact same phrase i can't wait to find my gaming voice over and over and over and over and over again <sighs> so the first thing i did when i started my talk was went right everybody now in your own voice just just say the words my gaming voice and of course they all said my gaming voice so, congratulations you've just found your gaming <laughs> voice just this idea that somehow a gaming there's this magical gaming voice that yeah. kind of that's hiding in there someplace it <laughs> is and i think what's what's been really interesting and Amelia and I have both kind of been through this recently. Is we've both sort of been updating our demos as as we've been booking more and more games. And I think for both of us, you probably see an evolution from there's probably less variety in our demos now from a pure vocal perspective. Um and it, that's including myself where you know versatility is generally what I'll get booked for, but they're they're much more something close to our normal voices but in very different characters very different emotions very different performance styles so this idea that you have to be you know a million miles from your natural voice at all times right. is a real misnomer that i think leads people away from mm. actually what they need to be pointing at well it, it sort of depends on what what you want to do i guess because that will book you npc work but if what you really want to do is act you need to act like one one thing really, really well and then diversify rather than try and be everything slightly badly. As was mentioned before, I, this is one of the biggest changes in video games now is the kinds of characters that are showing up in games that are populating um, these the scenes are more normal people, perhaps mm. in extraordinary circumstances, mm. as opposed to... Right. The kings, queens, monsters, uh, wizards. I mean, they're all still there. Yeah. Uh, but we're having many more complicated characters. Uh, the, the, the person that's actually not a bad person but ends up doing something terrible. Those, mm -hmm. those kinds of things, mm -hmm. uh, more subtle performances uh, have to come through. And it, that calls for, one, a sensitivity to, oh, I'm in this kind of game and it's this kind of story as opposed to this one over here that is bigger and battlier and louder mm. and crazier voices. Uh, your sensitivity as an actor to, to where am I? I am I'm on a football field. I'm on a soccer field. I'm a hey, no. Well, I guess for you guys, it's both. Um, <laughs> <laughs> am I playing tennis or am I playing baseball yeah. uh, or cricket uh, to to make it actually English? <laughs> um, you got to know the game you're playing. Yeah. And I suppose this speaks to what you were talking about earlier of 
watching YouTube gameplay and Twitch and things like that, if you're not a gamer, to understand what is current and where the industry is mm. right now so that you don't do something hugely out of date. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay, I want to we'll ask one or two more questions and then get straight to audience questions because we're running on a bit here. Um, so I, I want to come back a little bit to where a listener will go once they're at the point at which they feel like they can get into this industry. So what is the option for a voice talent now for breaking in and actually um, selling themselves to people who have the these opportunities, Jay? Oh, right. Land me right in it. Um, <laughs> so th- my initial response to that is just to to give a point about the thinking. It's not so much, a, not so much where you sell. It's a lot about how you sell. Um, especially for video games. Um, it, video games is not an industry, so this is kind of general advice, I suppose. Video games is not an industry where hard selling is particularly effective. Right. Um, it's it's not the throwing business cards at people, you know, kind of knocking on doors um, vociferously and aggressively kind of environment. It's not, mm. that's not the place for this. Um, this is very much... Um, just a hotbed of creatives from all sorts of different disciplines who want to come together and make something cool. Um, And I think a genuine passion for the industry and knowledge of the industry will, will do you in great stead. So in general, be genuine, be genuine in your love for the industry and be genuine in your desire to work for it. Mm. And, and once you've got that mindset, the rest of it is, is the same as everything else in any other break into any other genre, go where they are. Um, you know, game developer conferences, um, you know, even one, even when they're public ones, like um, we have, you know, EGX over here mm. or E3, um, Gamescom, you know, where, where any there's, where there's the large gathering of developers. Um, but again, it's about how you navigate that situation. And aside, um, do that once you've got a demo for gaming, yes. not before. There's right. no point before. <laughs> yes. Don't turn up with your drawing of beans. Um, <laughs> you know, turn up with your beans. Um, Have something for them to listen yeah. to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, I always say, and it's just my same kind of approach with everything. If I'm giving a business card out, I've kind of done it wrong. Mm. Um, you know, my, when I when I go to an event, I'm actually just there to look at cool games. Yeah. Um, and if that turns into something, great. If I make friends with a dev, great. If that turns into a job, <laughs> great. If it doesn't, that's also fine. Um, I'm just there to kind of be be immersed in the industry that I love, and then see what kind of falls out of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, get yourself get yourself along to to games conventions. Yeah. But relax and don't scare the rabbits. Yes, relax. Because because devs are quite. I, I I feel very protective of games developers because I I have a lot who are friends personally, and and I know what they're like. And and for the most part, there are definitely exceptions. But for the most part. They're, they're quite quiet and they're certainly not like actor level outgoing. So if you go at them with that like crazed eyebrow raised <laughs> energy, yeah, they're going to poop the pans. They just <laughs> relax. You don't need so to. You'll, you'll know when you've industry. messed up by the smell. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, you don't need to hard sell in this industry at all. And if you do, it'll win you the wrong kind of jobs. Yeah. I mean, Dave, you're in a position now where I presume you don't go out prospecting for work as such, but you get a lot of work through your agents and through connections that you've made. But um, do you have any techniques that you have for finding work? Well, you know, I, I well, one, be good. Uh, show up on time <laughs> and give great performances. Um, mm. I, I, I think ultimately in the business, that's the best thing you t- can do, turn good auditions. 
Um, but I learned a long time ago, you should always be seeking new business. Mm -hmm. And because this industry is growing uh, by leaps and bounds, we have uh, universities, colleges all over the world uh, that have video game developer programs now. And they, all these people want to develop games. Yeah. Um, I've had the opportunity to speak at a couple of these colleges, a couple of these programs. Well, just like uh, film students need actors uh, for their projects, uh, game developers need actors for their projects. If mm -hmm. you're trying to get your reel, you're trying to get your, your feet wet a little bit, and, and once again, this still is something I would do after having a demo. Yeah. Um, you might want to uh, also look at the universities that uh, have uh, good gaming programs, and there's lots of them. I know in this country, we've um, uh, Savannah School of Art and Design, we've or, or College of Art and Design, we've got MIT, UCLA, USC, there's Carnegie Mellon, there's tons and tons and tons of them. Uh, and I tell the story of uh, Steven Spielberg, who is still working with the people he worked with when he did Jaws. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. You get in with the, the right developer, you become part of that click. Well, see how many clicks you can get in Yeah, uh, of, of working clicks. We have seen numerous uh, movies where the production team keeps coming back with the same actors, yeah. the same core group of actors. Um, how many of those clicks can you get in? Yeah. Uh, start with somebody, you know, the, I, I think the biggest games that are ever going to be, the best stories that are going to be told in video games are yet to come. Yeah. All right. Fantastic. Okay. So I do want to now get on to some audience questions. A lot of these have already been answered in a roundabout way, but I'll launch a few of them anyway, just to reiterate some points. So Ripley Johnson wants to know, how often do they, and by they, I think they mean video game producers, uh, come back with rewrites to the script? And how do you anticipate that in your bid for a job? So we're talking probably an indie game at this point, And mm -hmm. these are projects that maybe you're recording from home. So in that situation, how do you negotiate that, Amelia? It happens a lot, uh, and it's as much because of changes in the script as it is to do with changes in the tech that's being used or the, the specific design mm. for the game. Um, if something's not working or a, a couple of the playtesters have gone, oh, I got stuck on this bit, or that's really annoying, they might reword something, or there might be a whole level change. You can't predict that. What you can predict is how you charge and set, set that out from the very start. So, for instance, for me, the, the way that it tends to work in England um, is that we charge an hourly rate for studio fee. Uh, so it's it's one hour plus, and whether you use five minutes of that hour or you use the whole hour, it's the same price. Yeah. Uh, you can book people for a day rate if they're amenable to that, so you'd get a, a slight discount, but that all has to be discussed separately. Then we get a buyout on top, and it depends on the company because our union doesn't quite have the teeth that the American union has. Yeah. Uh, it depends on what you discuss and you agree with the individual employer as to what that buyout includes. But the actual time you spend in the booth, that's set. And if right. they want to call you back in for more in the future, they pay you again. Right. That's it. Um, I, th I think it's more a matter of explaining very matter-of-factly, okay, this is what you're paying for. 
break it down in sections, make it really un- easy to understand. Mm. So the buyout applies once across the whole project. But if you want me for more hours, you pay for my time. Yeah. That's it. Dave, from a union perspective, it's it's a little different because you get paid for the sessions. And if they require script changes, you obviously have to come in and it's a new session. That's basically... Well, how it's new, so they're just paying you again. Yeah, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. it's the same thing. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. Um, uh, this might be slightly contentious. We'll find out. Um, is, again, from from a business perspective and client relationship perspective, is... Let's let's say I've done this has happened to me, you know, I've done six hours on a game or whatever, I've earned good money from it, and they come back and they go, Crap, Jay, we missed one line. Uh it's it's six words. Um (laughs) Do in all honesty, I'm not going to charge them for that. I'm I'm in for an indie dev, no. Yeah. I'm in my booth already, I'm doing some corporate, I can go, okay, right, quick, click, six words, here you go. Yeah. There's no that it would be counterproductive for me to go, well, that's another, you know, X amount of pounds for 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 thirty seconds work. Whereas the wait really in just going for the dev to get six words back five minutes later that's worth a lot more to me in terms of the relationship yeah. with that client. Um, so if they that, do it 20 times to... in a week. <laughs> yeah, mm. absolutely. Or if you have to go into London for it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, that, that's but... the only thing. If I had to actually travel to do it, I would have to charge again yeah. because trains ain't free. So uh, Jeremy Smith Sebasto, he asks a question that we've touched on a little bit, but uh, be interesting to hear the response. With the utilization of mocap, increasing interactivity and VR slash AR projects becoming more commonplace, where do you see the gaming industry heading over the next five to ten years? And what potential impacts to the acting process and or industry standards as a result of these rapidly advancing technologies might you predict? Okay, that was a run on sentence. Wow. (laughs) Does he write for a technology magazine? Yeah, I think he's a clever chap. Um, where, Where did you... It's going to really fun places. Did you get all of that question or shall I re- repeat it? Repeat the end bit. <laughs> okay, so let's see. So he wants to know how mocap, uh, because it's becoming more commonplace, how that's affecting the industry and what impacts that has on the acting process and the industry as a re- in general. That's basically what he's asking, I think. I think it's it's meaning that you you kind of have to be really, really good at physical acting. Right. Um, and it needs to kind of happen now because it's mocap and performance capture are becoming so much more accessible and cheaper. The tech's getting much, much cheaper. Mm. More people are employing it, and it's getting to the point where the big productions are now starting to be cast through well-known casting directors. Mm. Unless you have an acting agent, it's actually kind of hard to get your foot through the door unless you, it's already there or you have contacts in the right place or you just get lucky. Right. So I think I think Jay and I kind of, um, we were very lucky in some of the stuff that's happened to us over the last couple of years and the people that we know. Um, but we put ourselves deliberately in a position to learn about motion capture and performance capture because we could see the direction that the industry was going. Mm. Uh, it was a very deliberate move because I want to be playing cinematic roles. I can play cinematic roles, but there's a lot of technicality to it yeah. that acting courses do not teach. I think, ironically, about a week, might have even been less than a week after coming back from a facial capture training weekend, I was asked by a client, by the way, you don't happen to be able to do facial camera um, capture work, mm. do you? It's like, <laughs> oh, Yes, yes, I do. Um, As a matter of fact, I do. (laughs) Here's my reel. Um, And I think, you know, in terms of where it's it's going to go, 
to some extent, it's it's almost, <laughs> I hate to say this, but it's almost irrelevant. If you want to continue working in the industry, it's the same as any uh, movement in, in technology and industry changes. You just keep make sure your skills are up to date. You, I said this in an interview a couple of years back, again, about motion capture, was you always want to make sure you're slightly ahead of the curve. Mm. Um, so always continue to look at what skills am I going to need to service the needs of mm. the industry I want to work in as it goes forward. And yeah, you know, Amelia, Amelia's exactly right. Mocap suits are getting cheaper. Smaller and smaller developers are going to start using them. Even if it's not for character work per se, it'll be to reduce their animation, mm. um, mm. time scales, um, and effort that was required there. So just keep your skills um, up to date as much as you can. And it, it yeah, it's going to go fun places. I don't see a massive shift in terms of there'll be no voice booths in the next five mm. years. Um, mm. There will always be a call for different performance styles because games are infinitely varied. And I think you'll you'll always end up with the hand drawn, hand animated voice only game, even mm. once technology is far and away in the future. Even even with if mocap, uh, you know, some for some reason just dominates the whole industry. Uh, I think there's still going to be. Uh, I know something that happens with me a lot is it's a mocap game, and they have hired a stunt person. To uh, to to do the physicality mm. that mm. I do with that of my character, but I'm doing the voice of my character. Well, you hope they do anyway. <laughs> well, because that's that's something that's that's been a bit contentious recently, hasn't it? Asking voice actors to do things they're not necessarily qualified to do, running around and jumping. Well, and... we want to make sure that if you're on a mocap stage, uh, that you you know you have a, a fight choreographer and. Uh, safety equipment. Yeah. Uh, you you want to have all the right things there, and uh, uh, to make sure that that actors are safe and somebody that can teach them. You know, some of it's not that complicated. You know, okay, you're going to fall here. Well, let's make sure we put the pads down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That kind of thing. Making sure that just like in the movies. Uh, they make sure that uh, a stunt coordinator is there, mm. and that safety is, uh, if not the first concern, the second one after getting a good take. Uh, we have to make sure that that that's in place. Mm. Yeah. The really interesting thing, though, um, is because it's mocap, it doesn't always have to be you. This can be this amazing stew of okay, well, it's it's my voice and my face. And me walking around and talking to people, but this character also has to be a gymnast. Right. So let's let's not teach me to be a gymnast. <laughs> let's yeah. get a gymnast who has yeah. roughly my proportions, and she's now wearing my dots, and yeah. she pilots my meat suit. <laughs> your your body double. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But but it, I think it's going to lead to some really interesting changes in the way that awards certainly and credits are dealt with in the yeah, industry. Yeah. Because if you've got somebody who's voicing the character and they win best performance. Yeah, that's not entirely But there's them. somebody doing the motion capture and there's another person doing the fight scenes. That gets very fuzzy. And the people in those areas of the industry are incredibly skilled and they get no props whatsoever. Like, Do you think that uh, oh, that doesn't happen in, in movies now or television? The, well, exactly. The, uh, I, th I think it should. And there should definitely be separate recognition. There should definitely be separate recognition. It's like the modern version of the the two people inside of a horse 
<laughs> are there two what people inside that? of a horse? Like well, the fake horses, not the real horses. Oh, you know oh okay. Wow. No, it's not that kind of thing. <laughs> okay, it's yes, I'm playing the head of the horse and <laughs> winning the award. <laughs> and we have no idea who was playing the horse's ass, but it was only a horse's Probably ass. me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right, let's go for a know. final question before it descends too much further. <laughs> Um, Margaret Ashley, she wants to know, very simple question, how do you get seen or heard by the casting people? Simple question. Mm. Some of it is totally out of your hands. Yeah. yeah. Some, sometimes yeah. You'll, you can make an amazing audition tape and that person just got distracted or the file went awry. You, I, I call it the Lipfer method. I, I see the audition itself as the job. I record the audition and I send it away and that's the job. It's done. Whether another job comes off the back of that that pays me money, um, that that would be great. But mm. I can't fall in love with that character, even though it happens sometimes. But so yeah, the Lipfer method, the leave it the f- alone. Oh, okay. Method. <laughs> yeah. Don't pester them. Don't cry about it. It's done. Yeah. yeah. When I uh, when I'm teaching, one of the things I say: Look, there's no, there are no uh, auditions. There are only performances. Yeah, Uh, they're they're gonna hire you because they loved the performance, and you have to let it go. And Mm -hmm. and sometimes this has happened to me more times than I can count. Uh, You got an audition, uh, you sent in a great performance, and for some reason they hired somebody else to play Mm -hmm. that part. Mm -hmm. But because your performance was really good, they 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 brought you in to play some other parts. Sometimes it's you you know I love that performance. You can definitely act. Uh, voice just not right, voice mm-hmm. print not right for this character, but he could work for this character yeah. or these. Yeah. Other. I call that somebody else's squee. Jay's very familiar with me calling it that. When when you thought you nailed that audition and it was completely yours, and somebody else gets it, you kind of have to be used to being happy for other people when they yeah. win that thing. Because every time you've won a gig, that was like a hundred other people just gutted. Yeah, I yeah. think uh, as well. Just to because I think. What she's asking about is sort of how how do you get those auditions? You know, how do you get in front of the casting directors yeah. in the first place? And I think one of the things I always tell anyone I talk to is you the, the, the best thing you can do for your health and sanity in this business is the first thing you need to do is give up the illusion that you have any amount of control whatsoever. <laughs> the second you think that anything outside of giving a good performance is within your control. You've all you're already going mad yeah. and smashing your head against the phone walls. I missed out on a role that apparently I was perfect for, but the managing director of the company, I sounded a bit like his ex-girlfriend. <laughs> oh, no. like, you can't control that. That's fine. I'm sorry you had a bad experience with that lady who has a similar voice to me. I hope you heal. Yeah, it, it can be so many things. Your your uh, how many Twitter followers you have? Yeah. Uh, you may have been somebody's first choice, mm. but of course it's all done by committee. So if yeah. somebody else was everybody's uh, you know second choice, and that's who got the you 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 can't know mm. why you did or didn't. All you can do is turn in wonderful performances and if yeah. you do that uh you're gonna book yeah. it's just can gonna I, happen can i just be the exception that proves that rule now it is <laughs> again i consistently is I, turn in this, dreadful performances yeah. <laughs> I, I i my my favorite one of these just to just to give another reason just to let it go is i know i didn't book a, a relatively major role because i was too good um, and, I, wow. and, I, and, and I only found out because I happened to know the writer on the game and what there was a, and again this is the sort of 
S. You can never know that is going on, which is why you can't try and control it. There was an internal feud going on at the game developer, um, and one person wanted this certain story arc to continue, and one didn't. So when they came to um, doing this sort of demo cutscene for the story arc that someone didn't want to happen, they didn't cast me because I was too good. So they got the like the one of the game devs to do that role, so that that storyline <laughs> would appear to be rubbish and would purposefully get cut from the game. Oh my god! Um, I was like, oh, oh, that's why I didn't book it. Okay, <laughs> thanks. I'll be more. I'll be more useless in the future. Um, so yeah, there's all that kind of stuff. So abandon all control, yeah. and th- and the same goes for finding the casting directors. Is you could. Again, you know, just all the things we've said, get out there, meet the developers, focus mm. on the relationships um, and and just becoming part of the industry and, and knowing people. And then mm. if you're good and you've worked at it and you've got a good demo and you're not a dick, they will find you. And again, you can have, I've, and this has happened to me and I'm sure it's happened to Amelia and Dave as well, you can have the best conversation with a game dev or <laughs> even the casting director. You know, you can get drunk over drinks and get tattoos together and... <laughs> Plan a plan a holiday. You've been having and some then, weekends, haven't you? I've had some great weekends, and then and then you never hear from them again yeah. for similar reasons. So yeah. the, the approach is similar there. Just just get out there, meet people, be selling something that they want and that is mm. high quality, and and they will come to you. I don't. I try not to think about anybody that I meet or anything that I train in as a means to an end. Yeah. I, I see it as just hanging out with people who get the thing that I'm passionate about and training in things that I find interesting. If if you train in motion capture, it may never lead to a mocap role. Mm. But I found a lot of the stuff I was taught for mocap works really well in the studio. Right. Yeah. Similarly, the friends that I make at conventions, it confuses reporters no end. That I am friends, particularly with one guy, that it's actually made it into news articles that I'm in games I'm not, because we're just mates and we've never worked together. <laughs> it confuses people, but that doesn't bother me because I know that if I'm right for a role that he's casting, he will give me a shout. Yeah. Don't put that kind of pressure on people. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I, I, I have, almost to a fault, been the guy that does not try to befriend people who can do things for me. Yeah. Uh, hey, yeah. if if for some reason uh, we meet, we hit it off, we're great friends, uh, and and that leads to some work, great. But I'm not gonna uh, blow smoke up your butt mm. to and and try to be friendly and schmooze you because I think you can get me a job. That to me, it, it just ooh, doesn't it? No. The, the really big issue with that is that everybody. Um, knows you're doing exactly that (laughs) so you're you're actually being completely counterproductive because i mean you know dare i say it and i'm not trying to big myself up in any way here because we all know i'm useless um i i get a similar feeling where I've, i've had with all the best of intentions like new actors come to me um wanting wanting advice but then ones that come that oh well can you introduce me to so and so or can you and i'm like Within five seconds, I know you're only talking to me because yeah. you want to get to the people that are behind mm. me, and it just immediate, it immediately just switches me off. Um, so that technique, while it on the front of it sounds wonderful, is completely counterproductive. Just yeah. be genuine. Just make some friends. Be you and be yeah, make some friends. I mean, me and Amelia have just been to a conference for four days. Game developer one. We were mainly excited, not about, oh, look, look, we might be able to meet some you know, new games and get in those. It was, yes, we're going to go and see our friends for four days and sit on the beach. Won't that be lovely? That, Without that's having the work involved. Yeah. Isn't that nice? 
and you can introduce Jade to seafood and watch him try oh, not that to was turn hilarious. green. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, I think we'll call an end to it. Um, thank you all three of you for joining me. It's been a really, really great chat and there's some real fantastic information in there. So, uh, Amelia, where do people go to find out more about you if they want to check out Ooh. some of your projects and things like that? Um, well, I, I have my website, ameliatyler.com, which has got all sorts of shenanigans on it. Um, and also a little tutorial PDF, which I only put up this morning uh, for video game developers specifically. Uh, but I'm I'm in the process of writing one for actors as well. Just kind of like a first steps. You've never done this before. Here's how to not like waste loads of time and money, kind Great. of thing. Fantastic. Um, here's here's where to get good teaching, etc. Because uh, I'm not a teacher, but I'm pretty good at poking people in the right direction. Um, I'm pretty active on Twitter. If you want to give me a shout on Twitter, it's just Amelia Tyler because that wasn't taken. <laughs> Poor <Right>. Jay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And Dave? Uh, DaveFenoy.com. Um, real simple. Uh, it's my name.com. If you want to tweet me or follow my tweets, which I don't do every day, but I do from time to time. It's uh, <laughs> at Dave Fenoy. And if you go to my website uh, you and you're interested in uh, voiceover training, private lessons, or where I'm going to be next, I'll be in London later on this year teaching uh, through uh, the voiceover network. Um, that yeah, yeah. will be posted in that little section up above. It says study VO and there's a little tab and a pull down one. And you go, Oh yeah, there he is. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's about it. Or find me on Facebook. All right. And Jay. So, because apparently there's a country and Western singer who's really famous, um, you won't find me at jbritain.com. You'll find me at uh, voiceofjbritain.com, um, or Twitter. I'm at voicejbritain. And that's where I tweet nonsense and pictures of my dog and my cat. Perfect. <laughs> what more could you want? Exactly. <laughs> all right. And uh, that's where they send all the bribes for connections and things like that. Now they know how much I like that. That's that's the way to do it. <laughs> okay. All right. Great. No more Good bribes for you. <laughs> all right. Amelia, Dave, Jay, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, Amelia and Jay, great talking with you guys. Thanks for uh, your thank input because I learned a lot from you guys. Yeah. <laughs> I sound like Dave. I'm kidding, but I'm not. <laughs> Okay, there we are. Thank you for listening. A special thanks to Amelia, Dave and Jay, of course, for joining us this week. And we're officially back up and running. So I'll see you in a couple of weeks for the next episode. And if you're a Patreon member, as I told you at the beginning, we'll be having our chat about video games this episode next week. And we'll be doing that on a Zoom session. So that's a video session where everyone can join in a video format become a patron and uh you know i don't think i'm gonna put a lower limit on this so if you can only afford a few dollars a month i very much appreciate that and that will definitely help to keep the podcast going and yeah you'll get access to the zoom sessions every other week as well as the podcast so that'll be much more interactive so for all the links visit the website voschoolpodcast.com for the social media, for the Patreon, for all other manner of things. And I'll see you again soon. Thanks for listening. Bye.
Thank you to this week's guests, to Backstage Magazine and to Kyle Marie Colucci for social media support. A big thank you to our sponsors, J. Michael Collins Demos and IPDTL, and to you for listening. I'll see you next time. Thank you.